Open your Bibles with me this morning to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I would like to begin by reading just one verse. Verse 6. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. This is the word of the Lord. I am your servant. It means I have to bring messages like this on a regular basis because these verses are most overlooked today. We live in a generation of carnal Christianity. We were told that it would be such in the last days. Perilous times would come. We are in those days. My job is to try by the grace of God and only by His blessing to save you from being carnal Christians and to save me from being carnal Christians. Amen. Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnally minded is minding anything of this body or world. Spiritually minded is minding those things of the Spirit and heaven. Right. And I'll elaborate on that. As the elect of God, God has saved us by His grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. However, He left us here in this world. And if there's one of the mysteries of God that I don't fully understand, it's why He's left us here. I wish He'd have taken us straight to heaven when He regenerated us. But He's left us here. And it's a fact, and the Bible tells us how we have to deal with it. We are in a warfare for your souls. Your flesh that you still have, though you're born again, you have within you an entity that the Bible calls your flesh. It affects your natural soul and spirit. Your old man is able to think, it has preferences, it, it loves things, and it's operated and moved by your flesh. Your flesh hates everything that has to do with God, and loves everything that has to do with sin, Satan, and the world. The world, because it is owned and used by men in the flesh, offers all those temptations to you. Because everything they come up with is fleshly oriented because they are in the flesh. Satan sees what we have within us, what the world is offering, and helps the two of us get together. To keep us distracted from being the God-loving, hard-following saints that we ought to be. And so it's a constant warfare that we're in. And I'm here to try to help remind you that we daily are in a war. And in order to win that war, we must make hard choices and decisions each day to so arrange our lives that spiritual things are more important than carnal things. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let me show you the large context of this verse. The large context runs from chapter 5 and verse 1 to the end of chapter 8. Very easy to see. Chapter 9 begins three chapters of a different subject. Chapters 1 through 4 is a different subject. Faith, The faith of Abraham versus the law of the Jews to the last verse of chapter 4. But when we look at the large context of Romans 8, 6, we see from chapter 5, 1 to 6, 2, the thought that Jesus Christ has saved us by being our second Adam. Salvation is by Jesus Christ being our substitute. Wonderful. That where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Whatever Adam did to us, Jesus Christ outdid it by being our second Adam in chapter 5. And it comes to the first two verses of chapter 6 and asks a rhetorical question. What shall we say then? Because God has saved us so graciously through Jesus Christ, what shall we say then? How shall we live? Shall we relax? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound. The word continue there means, should we relax? Should we keep doing the things that we've been doing? Should we stay in the same habits? 
shall we continue in sin, that grace may abound? God forbid. Amen. Two words, short sentence. God forbid that we should continue in sin or let our gracious salvation cause us to relax so that we would continue in our mode of default, which is the flesh. That's what Satan wants you to do, is to, be, to come in here and sing about the wonderful grace of Jesus and then to leave this place relaxed in that wonderful grace of Jesus because we know that salvation is of grace, but we walk out of here and allow the same habits to continue in our lives. That is an error, my brethren. God forbid. Amen. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Right. Jesus Christ died to put away sin. Therefore, legally, sins are dead. Vitally, they're dead because we've been given a new nature. Why are we going to stay in them? We should want to get out of sin as much as we possibly can. That's that section. Beginning at Romans chapter 6 and verse 2, because the transitional verse is verse 2, from Romans 6-2 all the way to chapter 7 and verse 6, it defines what I just said about we that are dead, how can we live? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He points out our baptisms. Remember, in baptism we show a death. Right. and a resurrection to walk in a newness of life. Then he talks about servants. How are the servants of God now in righteousness? And we're no longer the bond servants of sin. He goes to Romans chapter 7 and says, Don't you know that a woman is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth? But if she be dead, then she's no longer bound. And we have been delivered the same way because those sins have been put to death by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's another section. Then we come from Romans 7, 7, all the way to chapter 8 and verse 17, which describes for us that the law manifests our great sinfulness, but Jesus Christ has saved us from the law. And then, of course, the last part of chapter 8 is that as the sons of God, we are waiting for the certain manifestation and final declaration and inheritance of the salvation that God has secured for us. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the big context. I go over the context because I want you all to know your Bibles. And that's how we look at a verse. But now we come to the small context, and that's Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 16. Romans 8, 1 through 16. Chapter 7 has just left us condemned under the law of God and with a principle of sin within us that we cannot defeat ourselves. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, so many times, verse 18, I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. He's pointing out the fact of indwelling sin. We still have it in our bodies. And he ends up chapter 7 by saying in verse 24 that he's a wretched man in that condition. But that Jesus Christ has delivered him in verse 25. And so we come to chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ has paid our sins, and there is no more a sentence of condemnation against us. Jesus Christ has put it away. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Eternally, we were put in Christ Jesus by God's election. We were chosen to be in Christ Jesus. And we come all the way down to practically, when you were baptized, do you know what you were saying? I am in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have put on Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. We are in Christ Jesus from election all the way to baptism. And if we're there, there is no condemnation, no sentence of condemnation waiting for us because we have been saved from the wrath to come. But then the apostle gives us a descriptive statement about those that are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Who walk, 
That is, their lives are characterized by being directed, motivated, and seeking the Spirit of God rather than the flesh. The flesh is what our bodies and this world likes. What kind of a life do you have? Is it one caught up in the rat race of this life? Is it one caught up in the rat race of business? Is it one caught up in pursuing the things of this world? Or is it a life that is caught up in doing the will of God, loving the scriptures, loving the spirit, spending time in prayer, loving his assemblies? What is it? Who walk, that is your life, is not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Let's keep going. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death was the soul that sinneth, it shall die. But there's another law. And that governing principle and rule is that Jesus Christ put away all those sins and the Spirit of God brings that blessing of salvation and puts it within us. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, I like that law better than the other one. Amen. That law, God provides the life, God provides the salvation, and it's by His Spirit, and He puts it within us. Amen. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Legally, vitally, I'm free. For what the law could not do, this is the law of Moses, the moral law of God, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, the law couldn't help us a bit. The fact that God said, do this and you'll live, how could we ever do it? Because our flesh was so weak. After we sinned in the Garden of Eden, our flesh was so weak that the law wouldn't do us any good because we wouldn't be able to keep it. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Oh, I'm thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ who came and condemned sin in a body, taking our sins upon Him. He suffered for them and condemned it in His flesh. And we'll tear the bread tonight to remember His flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. All the righteousness of God's law is fulfilled in us by the transfer from Jesus Christ's account to ours, which we call justification which frees us from that law of sin and death. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And here we have that expression again, describing God's true saints. Here's a description. You can only claim, you can only claim that there is no condemnation or sentence of condemnation against you if this little descriptive phrase is true of you. The last half of verse 4 who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Notice, those are the same words that we have in verse 1. The second half of verse 1, the second half of verse 4. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Walk our lives. I've already said this once, but I'll say it again. When we walk, that's our lives. That's how the Bible describes our lives. Are they characterized by the things of this world? Or are they characterized by the things of heaven? Spiritual things. Walking after the Spirit of God. Verse 5. For they that are after the flesh, those that are in the flesh, not saved, not regenerated, the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus doesn't apply to them. They're not in Christ Jesus. That's the general category here. For a short time, for a while, God's saints may fall into this category. But the general rule is, if you're walking after the flesh, it should be simple. If you're walking after the flesh, what are you? Flesh. Right. You can't walk after the flesh and call yourself spirit. Any more than you can walk after the spirit and call yourself flesh. That wouldn't make any sense. How many people in the flesh walk after the spirit of God? They're, they're, as we're going to see, they're at enmity and war against each other. You can't do them both. Unless you fall there for a short while. Verse 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
What, do we, what, what does it mean when we mind something? When we mind something, that means something is attractive to us. Something is interesting to us. Something gets our attention when we mind it. That means our mind gets directed towards something. That's what the verb means when we mind something. We think that it's interesting. We want it. We like it. We're pleased by it. We want to head in that direction. And so this fifth verse of Romans chapter 8, which is the Word of God, oh no, it may not be the most exciting part of Romans to someone in the flesh. There are sections of Romans that are exciting to men in the flesh because then they can talk about what God has done for God's elect, but this is talking about what we can do for God who has saved His elect. Romans 8, 5, They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, and here's the euphemistic words, here's the ellipsis, do mind the things of the Spirit. An ellipsis in English is when we leave out words. And the words do mind are left out of the second half of the verse. And so those that are truly spiritually saved mind the things of the Spirit. And those that are in the flesh mind the things of the flesh. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. When we are carnally minded or caring about the things of this life, we are giving evidence that we're in a state of death. Not only that, we are involving ourselves in something that only leads in one direction, to death. You mess with the flesh, it's leading to death because your flesh only has one certain thing about it. It's going to die. Anything that's done in the flesh, that principle within us that that likes sin, that principle within us that loves this world, that principle within us that likes this life, that only heads in one direction, death. Our first parents made that choice, and it damned the whole human race to death. And we make that choice every time we let the things of this life become important to us. I can't wait. How am I going to say this so that you'll understand what I mean? I can't wait until you are laying there in the hospital bed with a bunch of drooping skin hanging on your bones with a little hose here at your nose and some big hose run down your throat for me to ask you, of course I won't because I'm too nice, for me to ask you how important all the things are now, how important all the things will be then that you seem to be showing such care about now. And you do the same to me. Because none of those things matter. Do you know what you're going to care about then? None of the things that you're worried about today. None. Because they all head in one direction, death. We're in a world that's dying. Everything around us is dying. We're dying. Do you know what? We've been delivered from that death, but we can be delivered more from it by being spiritually minded because being spiritually minded is life and peace. And peace cannot be purchased. Peace is wonderful. And peace is had by being spiritually minded. It is amazing. The one who wants the easy life thinks that that Christian walk is too hard. I think I'll take the easy way out. But there isn't an easy way in this world. Has anybody found an easy way in this world? This world is a rat race. Solomon tried this world's easy way, and he said, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. But if we seek the Lord and make Him the most important thing in our lives, there is peace. Blessed peace. I will both lay me down and sleep. The psalmist said, because his trust was in the Lord. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That, carnally, that carnal mind is going to lead to death if, if you are a child of God and you are living carnally. And I'm going to define that. If you're living carnally, it's headed toward death. First of all, death to fellowship with God. There's no way you can walk in darkness and have fellowship with Him. Do you remember that verse? How long ago was it? Last Sunday, 1 John chapter 1, starting over. You cannot walk in darkness and have fellowship with God. So the first thing you're going to, if you're currently minded, you're going to die to fellowship with God. 
then you're going to die and all of your hopes, dreams, and everything you've poured yourself into is going to die with you. No one's going to care. And you're not going to care either. And then, you know, if you're not one of God's elect, which the evidence is that you're not, there's eternal death waiting. Brethren, who in the world wants to be carnally minded? All it does is cause death at every stage. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Practically, life with the Father, fellowship with God, and peace with God. And then when we die, more life, eternal life. That is the way to live. And so the Apostle and the Lord Jesus has sent me to you this day. I tried to tell my sons and James Edwards, who is with us this morning, at our little 9 o'clock meeting in our home, that we are all dying. We're all dying. Nothing's going to matter except those things. When are we going to die? What a way to live. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now it goes on to explain this in verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. There's no life and peace living carnally because it's an enmity against God and God is not going to let us have any life or peace. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal mind, our mind that we still have while we're in this world that thinks about the world, that thinks making money and having a successful business is something good or ranks it highly or that loves the things of this life. That carnal mind that we have is enmity against God. You cannot have them both. They're not compatible. If God gives riches, that is one thing. But to set our affection to seek them, thinking about professional success, if God gives them, that's one thing. But if we seek them, it is certain destruction of our souls. For they that will be rich fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. That's part of the carnal mind. Because that carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. We love to read Romans 8, 7 and apply it to our understanding of total depravity. But we must read Romans 8, 7 and what I mean by that, for those of you who don't know what the words total depravity mean. We often quote Romans chapter 8 and verse 7 because we're trying to prove that salvation is by grace alone because men that are in Adam cannot please God. But let's not be so theological about it or so doctrinal about it. Let's bring it home. If we're carnally minded, we are at enmity against God because they are not compatible, being carnally minded and spiritually minded. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be a carnal mind that's interested in the things of this world, cannot be subject to the law of God. Right. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. There's a little conclusion of three verses. If you're in the flesh, you can't please God. Amen. We, we want both so badly, because Satan tells us we can have both, and the Christians around us are having both. But what kind of Christians are they? Right. If they're God's elect, they're precious few of them. And if they're God's elect, they're not having any fellowship with God or pleasing Him in their lives. Verse 9 goes on to say, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. We are changed creatures. The, the, The body of sin has been put to death, and we are to be living the life that the Spirit has brought within us. And it goes on to say that the Spirit of God is eventually going to quicken, make alive these dead bodies for us to have them in heaven. But we're going to die first to get rid of them because the presence of sin is still in them. So his conclusion in verse 12 is, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. We are debtors because Jesus Christ has died to save us. We owe him a debt Although it shouldn't be some great obligation, it should be out of the joy of our hearts for what He's done for us. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Doesn't that make sense with what we read in verse 6? If ye live after the flesh, 
ye shall die. And I've already told you that that is in several senses. What we would call phases are all included here. You live after the flesh, you'll die to fellowship. You live after the flesh, you're just going to die physically and everything you were setting your affection on. You live after the flesh, you're likely going to die eternally because you're showing yourself not to be saved after all. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, put them to death like they truly are legally by Christ, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's our context. Brethren, there's a danger. We live, we have a horrible danger facing us. And I'm, I'm here to warn you. The grave peril for us is to get to heaven and to have him say to us, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Right. Is, that, is that a serious problem? Is it worse than flunking your driving test? Is it worse than flunking all the courses that you took this semester? I'm almost guilty of blasphemy to compare the two. What is important compared to that peril for your souls? To get to that great day and have him say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And I want you to remember that those that are there in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, are all reminding him about the things they had done religiously while they were in the world. Don't you dare think that that passage is about the worldlings out there who are out on their boat on a lake today. It's about people who are in church, and it's about men who are in pulpits. I warn you about that peril that's coming. Your little lives are going to be absolutely nothing In comparison of that, may God help us. I have to warn you of the danger. And it's the grave peril of the perilous times of the last days. When men would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They would have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. I know I mention these verses often because I have to. I'm commanded to mention these verses. And I'm commanded to look around and be a watchman that sees what danger is threatening you. And it's carnal Christianity. The grave peril of our own souls is carnal Christianity, which is hypocrisy, which is to forget that we've been purged from our old sins and to live without fruit in our lives. Instead of following hard after the Lord, we show up on Sundays, we claim to be Christians, we love the doctrine, and we live any way we choose. That is carnal Christianity. It's not difficult to define it. Every church has carnal members of both varieties, elect and reprobate. They creep in. The Bible tells us that they do. They creep in with their words and with their show. May God save us. And may all of us examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. Do you know Paul told people to do that? Right. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. Know ye not that unless you're in Christ, you're reprobates? We all need to be doing that because the peril of our souls is at stake. And yet we hardly give any time or attention to our souls because we're so worried about our lives. And our lives here are flesh. Satan is devouring Christians in our nation. And you know how he's devouring them? Not with the flames of persecution. Peace, prosperity, and pleasure. Satan is devouring Christian lives. Peace, prosperity, and pleasure. In a righteous way, I hate America. America is a dangerous place to be a Christian because the subtle deception and attractiveness of the peace and prosperity and pleasure. It's so easy to get caught up in those things show up at church on Sunday and think that we're pleasing the Lord. It would be easier to be spiritually minded through the week if we were suffering some persecution, if we were enduring some pain, and if we were living in poverty. Because then you would be forced. You would not have an option 
of being seduced by these attractive things around you because they wouldn't exist. We live in a dangerous time in a dangerous place. We live in perilous times in a perilous country. Brethren, we must be spiritually minded. How do we tell when someone's spiritually minded? How do we tell when we're spiritually minded or not? Spiritual things, are they hard to figure out? Spiritual things are the things of the Lord. Right. Heaven. They're the things of heaven. They're the things of His Word. Spiritual things are things the Spirit of God would teach us. Where does the Spirit of God teach? In the Bible. So we look in the Bible and we see, what does the Bible teach? Those are the things of the Spirit of God. Those are the things that ought to be most important in our lives. What are the things of the flesh? Or to be carnally minded. It's the things of this world. Things that have to do with our lives here. Things that have to do with this earth's system, with everything that can be seen. One simple rule is if you can see it, it's of the flesh. If you can't see it, it's eternal and heavenly. And that's a warning that is given to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know, we can tell by our passions. What do we get the most excited about? Isn't that a giveaway? Right. What does a person get the most excited about? Where is their energy and their passion? What about their works? Where do they apply their time and energy? What about their words? What do they talk about freely and voluntarily? What about their fruit? What's the evidence and the character and the marks of their, li their lives? You can tell by their influence. What effect do they have on people around them? Are they causing them to be closer to the Lord and being more spiritual or less? You can tell it by their family. And this is a horrible fact. But carnal fathers, fathers that are hypocrites, beget carnal children and children that are hypocrites. Right. May God have mercy upon us. Every man that's a father had better realize that the example he sets in the home is how his children will go live out their Christianity. Big hypocrites beget little hypocrites because little hypocrites grow up feeling comfortable with going to church on Sunday and living for the world Monday through Saturday. I call upon all of you men to rem remember this that I've just said to you. It's a matter of priority. <clears throat> when we talk about being spiritually minded or being carnally minded, what are the priorities in your life? Do you know what Jesus said? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and His righteousness. The kingdom of God and His righteousness should be first. If we make it second or it gets the leftovers in time, it's not first, and we are not spiritually minded. That's why David could say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Is that seeking first the kingdom of God? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the, in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness? That's a priority that David had. David chose one preeminent thing in Psalm 27 and verse 4, one thing about desire to the Lord. That's to dwell in his house and to behold the beauty of the Lord. See, one thing. There was one priority in his life, and that was to sp seek spiritual things. And he was going to force everything else to serve that end. He was going to change his life and arrange his life in order that seeking the Lord was the most important thing to him. It's a matter of direction. Are you aimed earthly or heavenly? Are you aimed horizontally? Horizontally includes things like houses and cars and business and money and success. Or you aimed heavenly, where you're laying up treasures in heaven, which is praying and reading and talking about the Lord and assemblies. Where are you laying up your treasures? It's a matter of direction. I want you to turn to that passage that says about things that can be seen and not seen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I want you to remember that verse. We are to be spiritually minded. God has saved us, and He has left us here, and He's called us to be spiritually minded. Right. And that is to pursue the things of the Spirit, and it is a choice. We cannot do it without the grace of God. But we will not do it unless we choose to do it by His grace. Right. 
He will not do it for us. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 18, the last verse in that chapter. Paul said that he was able to endure the afflictions of his life in verse 17 and 16 and previous because of verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What a rule. And what a simple rule. If you can see it, make it secondary in your life. Because the things of God you can't see. Show me heaven. Show me the Lord Jesus Christ. Show me righteousness. Show me the Spirit of God. You can't see them. But they are eternal. Everything that I just mentioned is eternal. Everything that you can see, houses fall apart. The one that doesn't have the drywall falling from the ceiling will soon. Houses fall apart. Everything falls apart because everything is under the burden of death because of our first parents in the Garden of Eden. So let's look at the things that we can't see. They're eternal. The spiritual things. You know, the Bible told us to set our affection on things above. That simple little statement, set your affection on things above. Set. Do you know what that means? It's a choice. Set. You can do it. Set your affection. Is your flesh setting your affection every day? Oh, yes, it is. Your flesh is setting your affection on things on the earth by default at all times. So if you relax, where are you setting your affection? On the things of earth, on the things of this life. So do you mean to tell me that you're telling me that the rest of my life, if I was truly to please God, is going to require a great deal of effort on my part? That's right. We're wrestling. You can't think of a physical activity that requires more effort than wrestling. Because wrestling requires every muscle and joint in your body stretched and exerting itself to its maximum. Do you know how long wrestling matches go? Two or three rounds of two minutes. It is so exhausting. Or maybe three minutes depending on the rules. But we're wrestling, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and our own flesh. So it does take effort. But I want to tell you something. If you'll make the effort, the Spirit of God will strengthen you and your inner man to where his yoke becomes easy and his burden is light. Brother Eric, this week, brought up and reminded me of Ephesians chapter 3, and I've been so excited to be reminded of it. There's so many good places in the Word of God that you forget about. And it's one I taught you way back a couple of years ago where the Apostle Paul was praying that the, the Ephesian saints would be strengthened with all might right. in their inner man that they might know Christ and be rooted in Christ and that they might know the love of Christ, which exceeds all dimensions for it, that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. That is unbelievable. But all that happens by the strength that the Spirit of God strengthens us with in our inner man. But the Spirit of God is quenched and grieved every minute that we're living in the flesh. But if we choose by the grace of God and by the fact that He was gracious to you and me this day to to give us another warning, since we've been given another warning, if we humble ourselves before God, confess that we've been more carnally minded than we should have been, and purpose to be more spiritually minded, He'll bless us with the strength to do it so that it can be done, and it can be done joyfully. And we'll remember Him and meditate upon Him in the night watches while we're in our bed. It's a matter of passion. So we need to set our affection on things above. That means you're going to be making investments that don't result in a bigger house. You're going to be making investments that are rewarded in heaven. Amen. And they will be rewarded. Isn't the first commandment that we're supposed to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? Right. If that's the first commandment, which commandment does Satan want to take us off? First, like that one. How does he do it? By getting our affections attracted towards something here. And he has caused us to do something that's worse than what Eve did in the Garden of Eden. 
We have our battles, brethren, and Satan is walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Where is, your, where is our passion? Can you be a lukewarm Christian? Does he accept a lukewarm Christian as being better than a cold infidel? What would he rather have? You be a cold infidel rather than a lukewarm Christian. What's a lukewarm Christian? One who professes to be a Christian, but who is interested in the things of this life. That makes them lukewarm, because he wants all of our attention and all of our affection. It's a matter of prosperity and success. What prosperity matters to you? Spiritual or carnal? Godliness with contentment is great gain to a spiritually minded man. Godliness with contentment to a fleshly minded man doesn't even make sense. All he can think about is getting ahead monetarily. What does the Bible say? Godliness with contentment is great gain. And that is a spiritually minded person's perspective of life. They don't care where they live or what they do. What they care about is living godly and being contented with what they do have. And brethren, contentment is not something you've seen in any recent advertisements on television. Contentment is not something you're warned about or reminded about very often. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I've preached that message to you because it's so important. And it's a measure of whether we're spiritually minded or not. If we're spiritually minded or not, if we are spiritually minded, godliness and contentment will be sufficient. Do you know what? There's nothing else in there. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It doesn't say godliness with contentment and a decent job where I'm getting ahead too is great gain. We always want to sneak something in there. Surely there's a sense you can put on that verse, Pastor, where I can get something in there because there's this one area of my life that I really like and can I have that too? Godliness with contentment is great gain. When a man is godly and he's content with all that he has, God will give him pleasures of all sorts of variety. You can enjoy the things of this life. The Bible tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, later in verse 16, God hath given us richly all things to enjoy, but that's only for the man who measures life by godliness with contentment. Amen. It's not for the other man who's got a problem by measuring success as to whether he's getting ahead in this world. What if you were to gain the whole world? Is that a gain? If you own the whole world, if you were able to buy and sell Bill Gates every, every other day, is that a success? No. You have the largest company the world's ever seen. It buys and sells Microsoft. Are you, have you got a head? Nope. Jesus would ask in every one of the Gospels, what advantage would you have if you gained the whole world but lost your own soul? Right. You haven't accomplished a thing. May the Lord save us, remember these verses, and the warning that he's given us. Brethren, we err when we define the things of the flesh the way that the devil wants us to define walking in the flesh. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. So what we do, like all good sinners, we take God's warning and we constrain it, we restrain it down to where we can satisfy it. Do you remember how the Pharisees would take the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, and constrain it down to not committing the overt act? They would just get around it in their thoughts. They would get around the commandments of God by constraining them down, limiting their effect. That is what men do with the Word of God. What, are we, what do we do when we read the words? To be carnally minded is to mind the things of the flesh. We, limit the, we define the things of the flesh in base sins that we have already chosen to hate. And so we feel spiritually minded because we're not guilty of the way that we have defined the things of the flesh. The way we do that is to limit the things of the flesh to those base sins like sodomy, witchcraft, 
adultery, fornication. I'm not fleshly minded. I'm not guilty of those sins. And so we constrain, we restrict the things of the flesh to a little list that we can avoid. Oh, brethren, it's been... All through the Bible they did that. All through the Bible they did that. Those Jews thought that they could come and stand in that temple and because they were there, because they were there and offering some sacrifices that God was pleased with them, they restricted what He really wanted and that was their hearts. We restrict being carnally minded by limiting it to sins that we've already chosen not to like. First stage of this lie. Walk... The things of the flesh are sins like sodomy and witchcraft. Horrible sins that you wouldn't have anything to do with. Second stage of that lie. The things of the flesh are spirit spirit sins like unthankfulness or hatred or anger or envy or debate or bitterness. I don't have any of those either. So we've, we've got a little more, we've got a little tighter on ourselves by raising the standard of the things of the flesh to those sins of attitude, like being bitter or unthankful. Then we raise it a little higher, maybe. We call some sins good because we don't name them this way. Ambition. Did you know that ambition is a sin in the Bible? They that will be rich fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts. What is ambition in the Bible? Ambition in the Bible is limited to this. If God gives you something to do, then you do it with your might. Whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. That's godly ambition. If you let it ever get outside of those constraints so that you're just out to get ahead, that is not godly ambition. And it turns into what the Bible calls emulation. It turns into what the Bible calls covetousness. It turns into what the Bible calls pride. It turns into what the Bible calls greed. We must constrain those things. Progress in this life is not important. Progress spiritually is very important. And so we call things like the good American work ethic. You know, some people equate Christianity with the great American work ethic. Christianity is viewing things that can't be seen. Christianity is seeking first the kingdom of God and righteousness. Christianity is that we might be found in Him, not having our own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness which is of Christ. We live in the most carnal, covetous, greedy, fleshly, sensual, materialistic society the world has ever seen. And to even preach against it sounds like a horrible sacrilege against our nation. But our nation is sick. They are bent on materialism. Materialism is their God. And so we we call those good sins to have this... When we see a man who's working harder than he should, he's just ambitious. He's a hard worker. What does the Bible say? How does the Bible describe a person like that? He's covetous. He's greedy. He's guilty of emulation. Emulation is the desire to equal or exceed another man. The Bible warns us. And so this is how we justify ourselves as being spiritually minded when we're not. Because we restrict the things of the flesh to those horrible sins. But if we start to let the description of what God says is sin and being carnally minded come up into its full breadth of what the Bible says, brethren, we have a war to fight. Let's go to the next stage. Things that aren't even sin. Your family, your children, your marriage, your job. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now these are noble things. These are good things. But if we allow them to become the main reason we live, the main thing we pursue, they become sins to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In verse 32, we have this short, profound sentence. But I would have you without carefulness. 1 Corinthians 7.32, but I would have you without carefulness. 
That word carefulness, as I've explained before, in 1611 meant things that cause anxiety or worry or distraction. I would have you to be without carefulness. I do not want you distracted in your lives. And notice what he's mentioning around it. He says in the rest of that verse, He that is unmarried careth, is worried or anxious, or investing in the things of the Lord, that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. So we back up. Did you, do you see this? Now, marriage is good. God saw the man that he was alone and said it's not good for the man to be alone. The Bible says, if a man findeth a wife, he findeth a good thing. But still, even that good thing that God gives us, if that becomes important, important in comparison to God and being spiritually minded, it has become a distraction and will take us down. Nothing should be as important as pursuing the Lord. Right. Not, not even close. Right. So we come back into in verse 30. Or verse 29. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29. The apostle says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. Those of us that are married should live in a way not all together, but in a way as if we didn't have wives. Because wives are a distraction from serving the Lord. Now, a wife can be a help, but she's also a distraction because it's one more thing in your lives, men, that you've got to care about that's not the Lord. And anything that you care about in this life that is not the Lord is a distraction and must be kept in its proper place. Anything. And then if you've got a big family with seven children, you've really got some distractions. And if you've got a big family with seven children and three grandchildren, you've got a big distraction. Those things can all be enjoyed. There are responsibilities that we have toward those things, but those things are also a distraction. We are to seek first the kingdom of God. See, a job, a job is equal to a wife. Neither one is more spiritual than the other. They're both things of this life. And the more that we are caught up in those things, the less we're going to be caught up in the things of the Lord. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We can please the Spirit of God in the way that we take care of our wife. However, in pleasing the Spirit of God and truly being spiritually minded, our wife will not be as important as the Lord will be. And we spend time with our wives every day. But do we spend time with the Lord every day? Are we seeking the Lord every day? Do we feel lonely when we haven't been with the Lord for a day like we do if we haven't seen our wife for a day? We cannot let them compete. There is nothing that should compete with the Lord. You know, as I, as I studied for this message and I thought about examples in the Bible, David's an example. You'd have to read all the Psalms. David didn't care about anything. You don't read about David talking about how thankful he was for his wife because in comparison to what he had to write about, he wasn't thankful for his wife. In comparison, right. he was thankful that he knew God and bless the Lord, oh my soul, and his benefits were spiritual benefits. And the verses that I've already mentioned, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Paul was like that. When you read about Paul, he's content with hardly anything. What he is not content about is that he wants to know Christ better and be found in him, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Those were the things that motivated Paul. Do you remember the woman Anna in the Bible? Was she old or young? Very old. She was a widow. What did she do all the time? Prayed and fasted in the temple. Did she leave the temple? No, it says she was in there day and night. Now, why is that in the Bible? Luke chapter 2, and about three verses, that's all we know about Anna. But it tells us of a very special woman that gave herself to prayer and fasting. And then it comes to 1 Timothy chapter 5, and it indicates that Anna is not to be all that great of an exception. 
that women, when they lose their husbands, have much more time to give to the Lord. So that 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 5 tells us that a woman that is a widow indeed and worthy of the church's support is a woman who gives herself to worshiping God in prayer and fasting. And verse 6, I think we looked at it last Sunday, verse 6 says that a woman who's a widow and is still seeking pleasure in this life, seeking it, making that the main course of her diet, is dead while she liveth. 1 Timothy 5, 6. Brethren, those are examples. Think about Job. Do you know how spiritually minded Job was? We can't get past the first five verses of Job 1, and we find Job offering sacrifices to confess the sins of his children because they had had a birthday party. Right. Now, is Job a nut, or was Job a spiritually minded man that God loved? Amen. Was Job a spiritually minded man that God bragged about? Amen. In case my sons, in the pride and foolishness of the birthday party, have lifted up their hearts against the Most High, Job offered sacrifices for every one of them. Right. That's a spiritually minded man. The definition, brethren, is not so high that we can't achieve it, and it's not so low that we can ignore it. Right. The definition of being spiritually minded. It's not going and living in a monastery and wandering around in a brown robe and fingering beads all day. God hasn't called us to do that. Amen. He's called us to live in this life, to have wives, to bear children, to replenish the earth, to work in our jobs, to serve our masters well, but always and only whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, to do it all to the glory of God and to be seeking spiritual things. And the most important time in our life is to get through with that job, race home, and get with the Lord. Amen. And you don't have to race home to get with the Lord because you can be talking to Him while you're working on the job. Amen. You can be praying without ceasing because a man that is spiritually minded prays, and he prays some more, and he prays more, and he prays. And we can be doing that at all times and thinking about the Lord. And when we get with other people, be talking about the things of the Lord. Remember, he's got a book of remembrance. Right. For them that feared the Lord and thought oft upon him and spake to one another about him. And those will be his jewels when he separates between men. Right. Brethren, the flesh is against us that is in your body. The world's against us. Satan is against us. And now we have a whole generation of carnal Christians around us, we see them, they go to church, they're so nice, they're so polite. Well, they don't seem to be so concerned about the things that I am. They're good Christians, aren't they? And so we're watered down until Satan is trying to force all of us to accept the lie of carnal Christianity. We had a restaurant for a number of years. I know those that came in that I found out were so-called Christians. I know how gracious they were, how nice they were, how polite they were. I know that they couldn't care about the Word of God. I know they were more bent on making money than anything else because I know what the conversations always turn to talking to them. And we live in a whole world of them. And if you spend much time with them, they're going to water down God's expectations for our lives. Right. Because His expectation for our life is to be spiritually minded. If you're currently minded right now hearing what I'm saying, it's the dumbest thing you've ever heard. If you're not quite that currently minded, it's too hard for you to achieve it. I can't be spiritually minded like that. I know. I know as well as anyone in here how the flesh works. Mine's as active as anyone's. I can't stand the, the Christianity that's around us because it gives you an example that is not biblical. Right. And may the Lord save us from it. Amen. Evil communications corrupt good manners, and never has there been so much many media that are able to bring evil communic communications into your life right. as we have them now. Brethren, don't let Satan lie to you that you can have both. If any man love the world, what does it say? If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's 1 John 2. Matthew chapter 6, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Despise? Yes. Because they are at enmity with each other. And we, that's the war that we're in. What do we need to do? First, we need to 
admit and accept that God as our creator and savior is worthy of all that we are. He created us and he saved us. We're twice his. If he had just created us and we were on our way to hell, we're still all his. But if he's created and saved us, we're twice his. Second, we need to remember the warnings that we can't be both carnal and spiritual. And we need to be spiritually minded, even though we might try to mix them both. Third, we need to understand that carnal things include things that might even be noble and neutral in and of themselves. Like a wife, like a husband, like a family, like a job. Those things are good and proper in their restricted place, but they are not the fulfillment of a life. To live your life for your family is to live your life for the flesh. See, women just can't handle that. Do you know why? They've been sold a bill of goods. To live their life for their family is such a noble calling. It is not noble in compared to Jesus Christ. You owe your life to Jesus Christ. And to live your whole life dedicated to your family is not living it for the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything you do is to be done for Him. And you must have time to pray and seek Him yourself. And He must be the preeminent goal of all that you do. We, we, so, we lie to ourselves by defining fleshly things as only hateful sins that we've already chosen not to commit. The fourth thing we need to do is believe that we can be more spiritually minded. Don't sit there and and be defeated this morning. You can be more spiritually minded. The Bible wouldn't say set your affection on things above unless you could do it. So we can do it. We must do it. Don't lie to yourselves. We can change our lives. Did you know that in the book of Jude, in verse 21, it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, isn't God going to keep me there? No, it says keep yourselves in the love of God. That is that first, that's keeping that first commandment. Making that the preeminent theme of our lives. We need to stop the fleshly inputs into your life. Where are the fleshly inputs coming from? Where is the flesh speaking to you and communicating to you? Is it in books? Is it in magazines? Is it in friends? Is it television? Radio, music, sports, hobbies. What is selling the flesh to you? Cut those things out of your lives. You don't need them. You say it will disadvantage me professionally. Great. That'll save you spiritually. Show me a man willing to take a professional loss for the things of Christ. And I'll show you a spiritually minded man. We have to cut off the inputs. Do you know why your flesh feels so strong and your spirit feels so weak? Too many fleshly inputs. We're to mortify the flesh, and that is to starve it to death. All you men, it is your duty to arrange the affairs of your family for your family to be more spiritually minded. It is my job and it is your job. We must arrange the schedule of our families. And if this world had its way, we would be running 18 hours a day, seven days a week, here and yon, all in the name of good entertainment and activities for our children while we lose their souls. It's our job. It's the duty of husbands to encourage their wives and help their wives be more spiritually minded and in some little tiny way for wives to help their husbands. I want to remind the men who is responsible to be spiritually minded. If some woman can pull you to be more spiritually minded, you've got a problem. Sorry, women. God didn't set it up that way. We need to read God's word more. It's very simple. Read God's word more. It'll effectually work in you that believe. We need to pray more. It's the lifeblood of the saints. Ephesians 6, 19, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance. Wow. That's a lot of prayer. Pray without ceasing, he would say, in the short form. Choose the fellowship of saints over anything else. Right. Crave assemblies and prepare yourself for them and, pri- and make, prior- make it a priority in the planning of your family's activities. Right. Beginning in the year 2002, we're going to have Wednesday night services. Plan on it. It's coming. Second Tuesday of every month will be ladies' meetings. Second Wednesday of every month will be ladies' meetings. Fourth Wednesday of every month 
will be men's meetings. First and third Wednesdays of every month will be meetings right here with a fellowship supper, Bible study, prayer, and singing on Wednesday nights. It's coming in 2002. It's just a few weeks away. You can ask me about it. I'll, tell, I'll talk to you more about the details. But brethren, we're going to be more spiritually minded. Did you know what? When I read in the book of Acts, I see those saints. They were spiritually minded because God had just poured out His Spirit. And do you know how often they got together? Every day. And brethren, if there is within you even the least little bit that chafes about meeting on Sundays or meeting with the Lord or, or what I just said, I know that there are. And I, that's why I love saying it. I know that some of you have something inside of you chafes at having to get together again at church, of having to make the drive. Do you know what that's telling you? Either you're a reprobate on your way to hell or you are in severe situation of carnality in your life. Never would the Spirit of God say that. Never would a spiritually minded man say that. They would be thankful and excited to be there again for spiritual reasons. And brethren, last of all, and you're going to have to go back and review these things. No man can keep a list of ten things in his head when it's spoken verbally like this. The last thing is, even those good things that God's given us, like family and marriages and so forth, we've got to keep them in their proper place and not let them steal away our first relationship. And it is a marriage relationship. Right. It's a marriage with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want to show you about that relationship tonight. Tonight, I want to preach to you, and I'm not going to call it this, but this is what it is, lover's games. It's how the Lord withdraws his presence from us at some times and how to get it back. Right. And so I, I, want to, I want to preach to you tonight about that. It will not be long or complicated, but the Lord sometimes withdraws himself from us to see if we're going to chase him. Right. Because it's wonderful for the, for the bridegroom to see his bride chasing him. It's the true proof of love. And the reunion is special. Amen. It's found throughout the book of Song of Solomon. It's found throughout the book of Psalms. It's the way God deals with us. But brethren, our part is to be seeking Him at all times. Amen. O God, Thou art my God. My soul thirsteth for Thee as in a dry and thirsty land. Right. My soul followeth hard after Thee. Let that be a descriptive statement of the Church of Greenville. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.